0: Welcome, everybody, to Productivity Book Group. I'm your host and facilitator, Ray Sidney Smith. Welcome to this group discussion of the book, First Things First, To Live, To Laugh, To Learn, To Leave a Legacy, by Stephen R. Covey with A. Roger Merrill and Rebecca R. Merrill. And just a little bit about the the book and the authors before we get into our dialogue. And so reading here from the book description, Stephen R. Covey's First Things First is the gold standard for time management books. His principle-centered approach for prioritizing gives you time management tips that enable you to make changes and sacrifices needed in order to obtain happiness and retain a feeling of security. First Things First takes Dr. Covey's philosophy and uh, includes easy to understand, Uh, Concepts like getting more done in less time, develop and retain rich relationships, attaining inner peace, creating balance in your life, and putting first things first. So with that, the author, Dr. Stephen Covey, uh, with uh, Rebecca and Roger Merrill, they wrote the First Things First book. Uh, Stephen R. Covey is, of course, the uh, deceased but renowned leadership authority, family expert, teacher, organizational consultant, and, of course, the founder of Franklin Covey Co. He's authored over 20 books, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, The Eighth Habit, and many, many others. And so with that, let's get into the topic of first things first and what are your experiences? Have you read the book before? Is this a second reading? Is this a first reading? And what are your general experiences with this book this time around? Who wants to get us started? Go for it, Pietro.
1: I uh, reread First Things First um, recently uh, after first having read it in the late 1990s. I had read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People just before after and that was also in L.A. Um, I was surprised at how much I forgot uh, about the book and how much of an impact it had on me um, close to 25 uh, years ago. Um, as I was reading the book, given now that I'm familiar with David Allen's works, um, I just recently finished the topic habits or in the last little while. Um, I I've noted that um, there are uh things in David Allen's work, um in James Clear's book that um harken back to um uh, Timo Cubby's writing. Um so for example, in a topic habits James Clear gives examples about, um, you know, a plane being on course um, to a particular destination, but if the uh, uh, measurement is like w- just one degree off, uh, the plane is gonna, is gonna go off course. And that of course is mentioned in First Things First. Uh, James Clear talks about um, tiny improvements it's the analogy of a bamboo uh tree uh you know not growing uh you know until uh, is it five years later and then all of a sudden it shoots up you know uh, 60 feet uh, in days that's also in uh in first things first um i don't think it's a coincidence that david uh, Al recommends that you do your getting things done will weekly review of 30 minutes. Um, but that's what Stephen Covey and his full authors uh, suggested in uh, First Things First. And fairly certain that's what uh, Stephen Covey recommended and said in and Habitfield, while the affected people.
0: Other than now, that. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how many people get their weekly review done in 30 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: yes. Well, 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 that's why the rap parties are our, our our schedule for two hours um I think the only other things that I'll mention is that you know in my mind uh I mean putting the big rocks in your calendar uh is akin to David Allen's uh uh emphasis on projects and advancing your projects with, you know maybe at least one next action you know at a time week by week because You know, if you see yourself in a particular role, you know, for Stephen Covey and the Merrill's, you're going to focus on what are the big important projects in my life and how is my advancing uh, these projects step by step, day by day, week by week going to result in uh, high leverage, uh, high quality uh, results. was in to so i i i like the idea of scheduling important projects um in your day in your week in your month in your year i know that david allen says not to do that in your calendar just put time specific date specific um, um you know events in your calendar like um i'm looking I've been leaning more toward uh trying to put uh time blocking, you know, um
0: as a as a, as a strategy for structure and I would I would and and especially my week. Right, and I would just I would say that I don't think David Allen says that. I think mis- people misinterpret David saying that, you know, nothing goes into your calendar but the three items uh you know, appointment based items, time based tasks and reference based uh, tasks on a day. Uh, but then he also makes the very clear uh, presumption that he doesn't know your world. And so you need to do what works for you, right? So if that time blocking is working for you, Pietro, or anyone else listening, absolutely do it, right? Like that's the yeah. the 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 idea of best practices for the people that David helps in his business does not mean that that same best practice is going to work for you. And so I think that, you know, just just because I, I think some people take Canon GTD and, and maybe are a little too aggressive with it. But really, if, if your big rocks are there, a la First Things First, and you need to represent them in, in time space or space time uh, by virtue of a calendar or something else like that, absolutely do that. Frank, what are your initial impressions of First Things First?
2: Well, I had read the book many years ago um, when it first came out. Uh, I thought it was kind of neat to see one of those habits being taken out and a book made because to me, it was like, this is sort of the way to get all of the other habits to happen um, when things are scheduled. And and this was like, this was the true plan for how to make the things, kind of the getting things done before there was a getting things done. When I read it this second time, one thing that jumped out to me was the title. The book is titled First Things First. Not first things only. I think there's a lot that's been written in time management literature about, oh, you know, on, only do those big things, only do those important things, delegate everything else, automate things, get rid of things, only do the important things. This only says first things first. You now somebody somebody's still got to empty the dishwasher and that somebody just may be me um you know it's not a quadrant one it's not or you know where where does the thing fit but things have got to be done it's just we can't fill our schedule with only those things and use that as a good excuse to put off the big things uh so you know i i i think i got even more out of it the second time uh you know good reminder of the roles, the goals, um, making success happen through other people with other people than uh, you know totally by yourself. Definitely.
3: Hey, Bish, don't worry, you're muted. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, I did not read the full book, but I listen to books a lot, so I listened to the summary of the first things first. I think, last week after I came to know for you guys. And, of course, I read recently The Seven Highly Effective People also. Um, and there is a lot of, you know, connection between those two books. And I think it changed the way I thought before. And recently, of course, last week, I learned, you know, the methodology of GTD. And I had hard time... Um, organizing my mind or cluttering my mind before. So after reading these two books, it's like this book, I think gives me a sense of, you know, a vision. So it's more a strategic in nature, like, what is a big thing that you have to focus on your mission, vision, goals, you know, and organizing them into quadrants, but getting the things done, I think is done by the GTD methodology more under tactical level in my opinion. It's like, you know, you have a lot of things in your mind based on these visions and everything that's going on in your life, but how do how do you get through them, right? That's when I think the gtT methodology can help me. So then I started kind of organizing, you know, my own, you know, things, you know, into to-do lists and everything, and started like getting rid of, you know, things from my mind to the list. And then and hopefully, it will help me in the short term as well
0: as in the long term. I couldn't agree more, Bish. I came to that same conclusion. I was a Stephen Covey acolyte for many, many years. I still am. I, I, I absolutely adore Covey and his work. And so I had my Franklin planner. I was I was a hardcore Covey person. And in 2001, I've told the story before, but I was in a Barnes & Noble uh, in in Arlington, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C., and I picked up the Getting Things Done hardcover book, and it changed my life, right? It it showed me that I could have the seven habits of highly effective people and this concept of first things first, managing the mission, vision, and driving force for what I needed to do in my world. And then on the tactical, the ground level, as David Allen calls it, the action level, I now knew that I needed to identify next actions in order to move my week to week progress. And Dr. Covey had, and the Merrills had kind of opened that up, uh, but they really hadn't fleshed it out in the same way that David had on that real tactical level. I will always and will continue to keep doing this, which is to recommend that if anybody wants to figure out those upper-level, high-level pieces, to check out The Eighth Habit by Dr. Stephen Covey. The Eighth Habit is that real macro-level work that needs to be done. And if you can do that work in line with The Seven Habits, it really brings those pieces together including first things first and really helps us to understand how to how to make our lives more meaningful in a way that that endures in a way that's indelible to our you know eudaimonia really you know not just happiness but eudaimonia and so i really really appreciate first things first for what it did for me uh, back in 96 when i picked it up for the first time as well it was already a material that i had I had absorbed through reading the Seven Habits, and this reading through was a reminder, a refresher. It was refreshing uh, in a lot of ways to to read it again and to also recognize the areas where Covey and the Merrills faltered in maybe some of the pieces in my mind. Maybe they aren't in anyone else's. Uh, but for example, you know, they talk about the four quadrants, the important urgency quadrant, uh, or what I call the Merrill Covey matrix not the Eisenhower matrix, uh, but the Merrill Covey matrix uh, is, uh, I think is the appropriate name because it gives the people who created it credit. Uh, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower did not create the matrix. Um, he just mentioned the idea of urgency and importance, but the Merrills and the Co- and Covey created the concept of the four quadrants. And so for anybody who doesn't know, the four quadrants are urgent and uh, not urgent, important, not uh, not important, and each of those creates quadrant one through four. And so uh, the the very shorthand to that is that quadrant one is urgent and important, the things that you need to act upon right now. There's quadrant two, which are those things that are not urgent, but important. And those are the things that you want to plan and execute as slow burn stuff. Then there's quadrant three. Those are things that are urgent, but not important. Uh, those are things that are uh, needed to be delegated for the most part, uh, but we should defer to delegate those items as much as possible. And then Quadrant 4, which is just like time wasters, uh, those things are not important, not urgent, uh, and we should try to eliminate this, them to some uh, effect. Now, I think there is a, a a missing element in the Merrill-Covey matrix, and that is maintenance. Uh, there's a real important component to maintenance, and some people would have put would put that perhaps into quadrant two, right? That would be a not urgent but important aspect of things in the planning perspective. But planning is not the same as maintenance, right? Maintaining your lists, doing your weekly review a la GTD or your weekly review a la uh, first things first. That is a maintenance level item. Making sure that you are reviewing your calendar and getting your calendar up to date. Making sure that you're processing your email and making sure your email inboxes are in, in control. I'm not even talking about inbox zero, right? Making sure your web browser tabs, what I call tab zero, keep getting all of your you know your browser tabs uh, and windows to a manageable level and under control. Those are those are issues of maintenance. They are uh, not urgent and not important. Um, on one level, but they are not urgent but important on another level. And I feel like that's a missing element. It has always been a missing element in most productivity methodologies that I've seen. I think maintenance is so important. And yet we delegate that to a place of being, oh, well, you know, my assistant can do that or technology can do that or it's not important enough for me to give time to. And so that is the one element I always feel like when I read this book or other books that miss that particular piece maintenance is the ground level activities that keep, it's like um, filling in the potholes, right? You can still drive on the road, but when a pothole gets big enough, you're gonna start ruining your suspension. You're gonna start popping some tires, breaking axles, right? And you really don't want that in a lot of ways. And so I feel like we need to remember that in, in light of this framework, which is very powerful, we do need to maybe put a central circle in the middle, which is maintenance. How do we maintain all of these systems, all of these tools, because it takes up space and time in our world. And um, and I feel like that's, that's kind of a missing element. So that being the case, let's talk about some of the, well, does anybody else have any first impressions that they wanna share? Okay, so what I wanted to do was to talk a little bit about some of the primary concepts, and we can touch on them if you have thoughts, feel free to jump in and, and share your thoughts. So uh, Covey talks about the concept of the clock and the compass. And he talks about this from the perspective that the the clock itself represents our appointments, our schedule, our goals and activities, and so on and so forth. Whereas when we think about the compass, the compass are our vision, values, mission, principles, conscious interaction. And this is a very powerful paradigm for us being able to understand that we have things to do, uh, but then we have a direction in which to uh, coordinate and direct our lives. Did that resonate with you? Did you have questions about it? Did you have feelings about that in, in any way?
2: Yeah, you know, and in there when they they uh, talk about you know your 80th birthday, uh, you know, h- how do the things on your list shape up to what impact will have you know when you're 80? Um, you know, so that all of the things that are on the list or that are on the calendar that are moving you forward you know do north or whatever you know we're, we're getting all these individual things but what direction is the whole thing moving us in? Now, I see.
0: now i frequently utilize this in my own gtd inspired productivity system uh which is that i always think about the fact that you know when i'm 80 i want to be able to you know run around with the if i don't have children you know it would be great grand or grand nieces and nephews whatever they're called uh um, but I want to be able to have my nieces and nephews, children, you know, scampering in the front yard, throwing around the ball, kicking the soccer ball, whatever it might be. And so today what I can do about that is I can eat healthy. I can exercise. Uh, I can attempt not to injure my shoulder and, uh, and CrossFit. <laughs> um, but you know, I could do all of those things and I know the reason for, I know absolutely today why I'm doing this workout because it ties to that upper horizon. And to a great extent, that is where Covey and the Merrills are really talking about this, that where that compass is there, because I know what the future, I want the future to look like, and the future is directly connected to what I do in the present today. It's slow burn and it doesn't feel significant in the moment unless you tie it to the significance of the future. And it doesn't have to be the distant future, like eighty. Uh, but I also use this principle very, uh, very well in my day to day life when I get frustrated with people, which is something that happens. I'm a fairly patient person, but you know, still frustration happens. But I always think, will I be frustrated with this person forty years from now because of this? The answer is frequently no, and forty years is just the right amount of timeline for me, where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a this is a uh, an ephemeral issue. And I can just ignore it. It's not going to be an issue. But if I say, you know what, the way in which this person has disrespected me or the way in which this person has um, abused someone in my world or something like that, I will I will that will resonate with me in a very long period of time. This person needs, I need to I need to take action here. I need to do something about this. Uh, perhaps removing the person from my life uh, being the, the most aggressive, uh, but, you know, maybe at least having a conversation with them at the, at the least and saying, Hey, this, this really harmed me or people that I care about. Um, and can you not do this? Right. And so it's, it's, it helps me gauge because of that timeline, you know, like when we think about it from that very, very long, long long-term view, things become, uh, perspective changes on how we respond to things. And I think that really helps me, um, from being the New Yorker that I am, uh, <laughs> Wanting to say what I really think uh, versus what really should be said, and what's the appropriate, healthy response to to, to activities. Any other thoughts on the compass? Go for it, Vish. I, I thought you live in Pittsburgh.
3: I think based on the information on the website. Say that again. I thought you live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, not in New York.
0: Yeah, I'm from. I'm from Brooklyn. I live in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Gotcha. Yep, yep. So I'm I'm here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So. We've got a few other Pittsburghers uh, around as well. So yeah.
3: <laughs> just just talking about the clock and the compass. Uh, I think the, the way he says actually is the I uh, sorry, clock is the, um, the the efficiency and and the compass is the effectiveness, right? I think you have to kind of you know find the right balance to really you know see where
0: you're going. I think that's kind of the idea I got from the book. Absolutely, yeah. He 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 very much um, explains that concept, and you know this this leads into you know you have this split paradigm between the compass and the clock, and then he he goes into the four quadrants by explaining the uh, the concepts of the four human needs, and um, the four human needs is the subtitle of the book: to live, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy. And so you know, obviously, we have. The physical need for food and shelter and clothing and so on and so forth. Uh, kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the bottom of the of the um, you know typical ana- analogic, uh, uh analogous uh, pyramid, we have those base needs um, for food, clothing, sex, shelter, and so on and so forth. Um, then we step up a level to love. That's the social need, uh, and so all of those social aspects. We then are. Are talking about level um leveling up to the mental needs of learning and growth and development uh and then of course at the very top of the apex of his pyramid concept or 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 his his um his four needs is that spiritual need uh that that desire to create meaning and purpose and so he takes those those four needs and he translates them to the quadrants uh in terms of this importance and urgency I'd say they because it's, it was Covey and the Merrills, who developed that uh, concept. And so they kind of bundle those pieces together so that you're able to focus your energies both on the four human needs, but also the four quadrants being a place where you can place them at any given time and that they change, right? So I I typically use this as a pie analogy, or if we have these various needs in our life, we have various categories of life, life domains, whatever you want to call it. You have the ability to basically shrink, expand and uh, shrink the parts of the pie as your life changes. right? So at some point, maybe your spiritual needs will grow. At maybe some point in your life, your spiritual needs will become more efficient and therefore take up less of your uh, time and attention, your focus. And so you, you, it's not that it's less important. It's just that you don't need to give as much time to it. So like, say, for example, if you're like, I don't know what religious belief I am, you're going to spend a lot more time trying to figure that out, doing the research and looking at different religions around the world and whatever else. And then you might decide on one and say, I'm going to be Episcopalian. Right. And so then you go to an Episcopal church like Frank does. And uh, and you're going to then you're then going to just go to church every Sunday, you know, and do your thing. And it goes on kind of autopilot. And that's the thing about life is that we're going to have to take an, an inordinate amount of time at some point to to Um, highly focus ourselves on efficiency and effectiveness in that space. And once it becomes highly effective, it actually becomes also much more efficient. Uh, It takes up less of our focus and time and energy, and therefore it takes up a smaller piece of our time pie. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's less important. And I think that comes through in the book a lot, and I think that's really helpful for us to take, uh, take to heart. Did anybody have any additional thoughts there regarding the... Four quadrants or the four human needs. Did that touch touch you in any way? That was that was interesting or novel. Go for it, Pietra.
1: Right. I You first uh, mentioned the clock and the compass, and I didn't know whether you wanted to get into a discussion about um, Stephen Covey and the Merrill's uh, explication of uh, using our, our conscience uh, to guide us. In a number of respects not the least of which is the a what you're going to get done uh in your life so i i enjoyed the book it took me a long time uh to reread uh i was averaging about only 20 pages an hour and it's because I really, really wanted to uh, integrate what it is that I was reading. I don't know about the others in this group who, who read the book, but what I found easier to read uh, were the anecdotes. Um, you know, whether they were uh, about uh, working with clients, whether they were about uh about whole life and being with clients, uh, children um but at the risk of being cooperative, um i found some of these anecdotes contrived so in the book there are two anecdotes uh that gave me pause uh one was where stephen cubby was on a university campus and i believe he was at a frat house and he was talking about the importance of using conscience um, to uh, make moral decisions. And he asked people just to be quiet and to think um, about a particular issue without mentioning what this issue is. And miraculously, he was able to sway, you know, one particular young man and and other people in the ring um, to realize that they no longer thought the same way they did on a particular issue than they did in the beginning. I'm not saying people can't be persuaded, even college and university students, but the reality is that, you know, uh, young people in America who are in universities and colleges um, really are, um, The way of the future, and they are listening to their conscience, and they do espouse values um, that uh, run counter uh, to conservative values, let's say, um, in the rest of the country. Um, Second anecdote was one about third alternative solutions, and he was Steven Covey was present with 200 NBAs, i believe it was Not and enough. the issue was abortion <laughs> and again you know he wanted uh the two sides you know in this issue uh to think about what the other side thinks put yourself in the other person's shoe so we don't love the the gender of both representatives because he wanted two people in particular but he does mention he (laughs) as being the gender uh, uh, or male um, or the biological sex of of, of one person arguing and I'm thinking to myself you know abortion is such a hot button issue especially now in the United States and I don't think he and his co-authors even Thought to themselves, well, maybe this isn't a great example because they don't even mention a woman being one of the two representatives, of the two sides of the issue. And um, so, look, I understand that there are uh, things that work when it comes to managing your time and producing um, high quality results. And obviously listening to your conscience uh, is important uh, because, you know, you'll use it to figure out whether you're going to waste your time um, on frivolous, you know, mindless activity, um, or you're going to end it in quadrant Uh for example. But this, this idea that there are foundational principles, uh, I mean, there's, is- Something that um, I struggled with when I read the book, um, not the first time when I read it, in the and then uh, I include age. And I mean, um, I just wanted to make sure.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I think that, you know, our sensibilities, our sensitivity to these issues have changed over time. More of the population is aware of some of these issues than they ever were in the past. Uh, you know, like communication has has expedited, and therefore we all have um, differing opinions and and growing opinions about particular issues. And I think some material just doesn't age well, especially written by certain people. Uh, we've we've read books together where we're like, ooh. That sounded really sexist <laughs> or that sounded really just like cringy. And so that just happens. And I and I think it's it's important for us to recognize that and to and to be aware that, you know, that that's something that we should check ourselves on, especially with these anecdotes. I will say that, you know, Dr. Cubby having I have seen him in real life present on on occasion and he could sell ice to Eskimos, right? This is a man who uh he just has that charisma and and so I can see him in these circumstances and I and I witnessed him do this kind of you know exercise with people, not the one specifically that you're talking about, but trying to show empathy from two different sides. Uh, he clearly had a hand in the Harvard negotiation project materials and and learning about them and and, and talking about synergy and and working people toward uh, a third alternative. And the idea of zone of possible agreement of the ZOPA concept within the Harvard uh, uh, negotiation project. So he had a lot invested in helping people understand that. And since his material isn't specifically focused on just task management, just you know getting things done, it was on this whole idea of of the whole person achieving in life. And so it's just like for me, it's like one of those things where I can see where he was in good faith going both the Merrills and he were going, but obviously, you know, some material just doesn't age well. <laughs> so, but I appreciate your, I, I certainly appreciate your bringing it up and and, uh, and talking about it. Do, do we want to talk about any of the kind of mechanisms that were discussed in the book about getting to developing ourselves? You know, they, they, he, he specifically has a series of of tasks that he's he thinks you should do, like developing a mission statement, a personal mission statement. He talks about the use of personal journaling as a mechanism for being able to to move forward with your world. What are some of the things that you kind of excised from the material that you thought would be useful for yourself to use?
2: Yeah, to me that was among the more favorite parts of the book. I'm a very tactical person, you know. So the you know the roles and that sort of i'm sort of okay how how do we do that how do i wrap my head around that so that i know what to do in the next hour to make progress on some of that i guess that's one of the reasons that david allen uh appealed to me when i ran across him in like 1997 before he was ever getting things done and you know and, and to continue talking about david allen for just a second um It sort of stood out to me as being the opposite of Stephen Covey. You know, that Stephen Covey's talking about mission, and then we eventually get down to the tactical, where David Allen was going the other way. And then they both sort of meet in the middle, you know? Uh, So they really weren't opposite after all. It was just a different approach. But, you know, I really enjoyed where it talked about, all right, well, we do have these different roles sit down and nail down exactly what are yours in your life. And that's not a question anybody else can answer for you, but it's important that you answer it for yourself. Okay. And now what are the things you're going to do about each one of them? It, you know, it made it doable uh, and, and really helped to connect the, what's my overall planet, you know, what, what's my purpose for being on planet Earth with what am I going to do today? Go for it, Elena.
4: I'll chime in there because I also really liked that part about the roles. Um, I'm not going to lie, that, act- that part actually, when it kind of arrived, was like a little bit of a relief for me because I had sort of an existential crisis <laughs> at the beginning of the book, um, just faced with that idea of like what's most important I'm just one of those people that's there's like always got my hand in about a thousand pots. And um, I'm a mother, a young child that demands a lot of my time. And so I'm constantly feeling that uh, pressure to, you know, uh, that sense of there's never enough time, that scarcity mindset kind of a thing. And also that societal pressure of like, well, what do you value more family or your work when I'm really passionate about my work? And I have to work a lot, right? And so I'm always kind of balancing that. So existentially I was having a bit of a moment there at the beginning just trying to get on board, but finally when we arrived at that at that part with the rules that helped me feel like okay, right, we are returning this idea of like balance and the fact that, you know, focusing on what's most important can actually be spread across a variety of contexts. Um which is how I like to think of it, right? Like I like to think about being you know and obviously in the moment you triage what's truly important and a lot of times family does win out but generally when i'm planning for my life and my tasks and I, I like to have that balanced approach of looking at the different rules i i play and uh you know trying to make progress and move the needle with all of them so i, I really like the part about the rules as well
3: yes i agree mode on on that uh topic um right after i finished reading or listening the book of Seven Habits. Uh, you know, I was going through rough time that time about six months ago, right? And then I spent some time reflecting on myself and I did some homework about thinking through that process. Like I wrote down my mission, vision, personal, you know, business and family, finance, you know, and that gave me an opportunity to really, where I am currently and where do I want to go but now if you ask me I think I forgot about it <laughs> and I think it's a matter of like okay I have done it but how do I keep it up you know with it you know on regular basis right uh, because you know as, as you know, Elena said you know I have family situation that's going on you have you know urgent things that are coming along that you're kind of knocking the tasks out and all, but still, you know, losing this mission, vision and everything. And I think for me, I need to remind myself on a regular basis saying, hey, this is where I want to go or this is what my mission is or focus, you know, should be. And then then, then constantly uh, remind myself that I am more, you know, accomplished and more successful than just, you know, sticking to my urgent, things that I'm doing on a regular basis, you know. Um I think it is time for me to again do another reflection and update, you know, some of the things that I have done in the past uh so that, you know, at least now I have more information and after I read this, you know, book um of David Allen and I know how I can get things done now, so I think I can combine these two approaches to like, you know, become
0: more productive in my life, Linda and then Pedro
5: so I've been quiet because I did not finish the book, but I do have a question. So this is the balance of what you said, Elena. So my question is, is not is the idea like the first things first is your value across your roles? So it's not like one thing is really important to me and everything else is possibly going to suffer in wake of that, but like I have a certain value, like I don't know what it would be, but because I have no clue what I'm doing here. But... Um, <laughs> I have one certain, certain value that's important and I and in all the rules that I play, that is what comes for, like let's say it's honesty or, I don't know, integrity or some kind of value that is really important, authenticity. And then across all my rules, that's what's primary or is this a completely different thing and I'm completely confused? So that's a question.
0: Linda, do you want to tackle that or do you want me to, to respond?
5: You can go for it.
0: <laughs> so this is, this is how I would explain, Linda. from from my perspective, uh, we go back to integrity, right? Basically, all of your values within your mission statement or otherwise, or vision statement for that matter, need to be integral, right? They need to be integrated with with one another. So they cannot be in conflict with the other. That does not mean that you have to prioritize. I mean, if you prioritize everything, you're prioritizing nothing, right? So Mm -hmm. you must be able to uh, put forward a priority at a time or a few things at a time for which you are going to make concerted effort toward an end. At that point, like we talked about earlier, it's like you put concentration into an area of your life, a life domain, uh, and then that becomes under kind of, it goes into maintenance mode, right? You do the maintenance items and it stays in that space. And therefore now you have enough time and attention to give to the next thing. So it's not that the other things are suffering, they're just in maintenance mode where they are at while you improve, while you optimize the thing that you're focused on, right? So I'm in a education program. My education needs to be prioritized. And that means other things in my life need to go into maintenance mode. I cannot improve those other things in a focused way because I'm focused on this one thing right now, the, 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 the um, the exception to that is that rising tide lifts all ships, in a way. So if I'm if I'm fixing my my efficiencies with regard to studying, taking tests, attending class sufficiently, those kinds of things, then then that's going to make me better at all the other parts of my life that may have been laggard. And so so I'm going to get better at getting better by virtue of all of those things anyway.
5: So it is a, it is a, it is a temporary first things first. So the first things first is this is what's important right now. And this is what's in the focus. And then the other things, like you said, are on maintenance until, so it is actual, like a goal first things first, not a, not a, a value.
0: Yes. And that's where my whole concept of a major projects queue came up. So the MPQ concept and and for anyone who wants it, I can I can share it. But the, the major projects queue was that I saw my clients consistently doing too much at once. And I didn't want them to think that these major projects in their world, right? These are not just like three action items. That's just like, I have three next actions and then the thing's going to be complete. It's like, I have a major project that has its own individual projects with lots of milestones and it needs to be done, but I have four other major projects ahead of it. So we need to put this somewhere so that I'm not losing sight of the fact that these are important to me, but I'm deferring them to later. I just happen not to be focused on them right this moment. And the critical piece is that we identify the condition precedent for activating that next major project. So we are, we are always in a, a view that as soon as this thing happens, this next major project comes onto the deck as an active project. And so you're not losing any sense of its importance to you because you know when it's going to be activated and you can reduce your stress or distress because you're not constantly pinging and dinging your conscious mind about that project because you have a place to park ideas. You have a place to put all those those uh, notes and reference items when they come. And then you can come back to it at a later point. That all came from this this notion that there is a there's a point in time where you do have to park what you're doing, put it in maintenance mode and really uh, move forward on the things that you need to focus on
5: or or put it on hold.
0: Yeah, that's basically what I mean. I, it's it's basically you're putting pause on it.
5: While you were talking, Elena, uh, the thing that came up for me was Leonardo da Vinci, (laughs) who I think accomplished a lot, but had a lot of unfinished things, right? And took, took a lot of time. I don't know, what is it, 12 years it took for the Mona Lisa or something? But I assume he probably intermittently worked on that, right? He focused on it and then got tired of it and moved on to something else and came back to it, you know. So, like, that kind of what you're saying, Ray, you know, if your life is about being a Renaissance person, you can still... Do what you're talking about. It's just you're putting things on hold as opposed to necessarily accomplishing everything all, you know, and then moving on to something else. Okay. Thanks. Wonderful.
2: Yes. and, And I think there's a lot of wasted motion. You know, when you've got too many things going on at one time, the moving back and forth, and where are we on this thing and where are we on that thing? And other people aren't seeing the results. Yep, you know, they're seeing you be very, very busy, but there don't seem to be any deliverables where if you can move one thing to the finish line and then concentrate on something else and move it to the finish line, or take a few number of things and and really, you know, get those to so that they become valuable to other people. Yep. The Mona Lisa is of no value to other people until it is finished and it is put out there for others to enjoy, and he could have gone ahead and done that and then go on to something else.
5: Well, I will argue there's a lot of unfinished work in museums that people,
2: <laughs>
5: yeah. you know, things that have been left unfinished.
0: And, and honestly, I would love to get to the end of my life and have both many deliverables and many things as works in progress right? Like I don't mind dying with unfinished business uh, because it means that I was living and being fruitful up until my very end. Uh, if I closed out all of my projects and just stared at the ceiling and waited for myself to die, that isn't living, right? And so I might as well die at that moment um, as opposed to continue living and continue creating and being generative in my life for as long as I have it. You know, and as far as I'm aware, I have this one life and i'm going to take as best advantage of it until the end and so i want to have unfinished business when i when i when i pass away uh because that will give me that um satisfaction that my my generations after me will will have known that i was active and in pursuit of something and creating meaning for myself until my dying day so pietro so
1: Ray, you would asked us uh, in terms of uh, mechanisms, um, what is it that uh, we're about to implement as uh, a result of? We uh, um, first things first, so I'm I definitely starting to uh, journal. Not once a day; as was uh, Stephen Covey. You know, I was but I am going to try to start day it today. And you know, people are thinking, well. You know, in a day you have so many things to do. You're you know, I'm always complaining about or at least I used to complain not being able to get all of this done. You got my you know, next actions list too long. How can I possibly spend time get all our the time to use some first of all journal? Well, it's so you know, it's about uh the block versus the compass and um if you're going to need your compass um uh, you know actually exercise the use of the compass that moves, you already right uh aside some personal journaling and i think as a result of doing that let's say it's first thing in the morning or you know at the end of the day uh you need to realize that it, it's something that was really important really putting yourself first um you're putting journaling um first and you're going to have a different perspective about, uh, you know, all of those items that are on the, uh, makes list toward. In terms of, uh um, using plan, well, some type of organizer for your to do with your next intentions. Um, I am surprised when we first is first about how often Stephen Cubby is interrupted to
0: <laughs>
1: And the point I want to make is that, you know, Ray, you know that, you know, I'm a hybrid paper planner and user, uh Chublevoo user, so I I use a paper planner, it's Google Bill and the big password. If I were to be interrupted, well I'm just happy during the day and would have to erase or cross out stuff that I had in my paper planner because you know, someone came to me uh, you know, um, with with a problem and that's gonna impact me because i'm supposed to be doing this it's in my paper planner i put the big rocks in there and now i have to move that um you you know i i would find that very very frustrating and it goes to the point about the strength of digital calendars and past management uh, applications uh, whether we're talking about mobile apps or something that we can use you know in your browser you know web interface it's really easy to lose things. I'll them, right. and, mm-hmm. um, and, and be able to see clearly, you know, what it is, that we still want to do. Um, but then you have to different, uh, but we ought to have uh, to have this time. That said, I know that the uh, Franklin Covey book imprint, you know, like applications, the planners, the like organizers. I think that's sort of separate from, you know, the main goal of Franklin Cubby organization today. But I mean, does the organization still want people to buy Franklin Cubby inch planners? You know? I think what they should do is and I think they made earlier attempts, I, I think what they should do is they should develop, you know, an app um, on towards a Franklin Cubby Plan. So that people can use the digital. Yeah, good.
2: You know, I I've got thoughts along that same line. I'm I'm wondering if both getting things done, and you know, first things first, along with the seven habits, were written now, how they might be different in an age where we do have so many digital tools. I I know way back when the thing that we all hated about the Franklin planner or the day timer was whatever you didn't get done you had to rewrite on those pages tomorrow and uh and then you had the time design planner which was the one David Allen had used uh that had the whole next actions idea where here were your next actions on a page that just you know you pulled it out and you moved it from day to day to day to day uh so, and and there's so many things out there now that if you wanted to design you know something around say the 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 quadrants that okay, everything gets a due date and I'll use the priority field for quadrant one, two, three, and four uh, you know with each of the priority fields being one of those three things. So there's so many things out there where we could adapt whatever software's out there to, uh, you know, a a uh, that that Merrill Covey quadrant approach, if that's what we wanted to do, and we never have to rewrite a thing. So, um, so easy now. For you know, if we are interrupted and we're not able to get to what's there, that it's hey, it's okay. I could just with a click of a button move these things for tomorrow instead of. At the end of today, I'm going to spend 45 minutes rewriting all the stuff I get, didn't get done today and punishing
0: myself. Well, I think the, the Franklin Covey Company is still very much dedicated to paper, <laughs> and I don't think they're going to they're going to change all that much. I know that uh, that is the Franklin Planner Company, uh, and so yeah, their Franklin Planner is is independent of, of Franklin Covey, although they are the exclusive licensee of you know, from, from Franklin Covey for that, for the planner, but they have so many different paper products. And I believe Covey has tried their hand in uh, producing some level of technology in the past and just really hasn't had a lot of success. There is a really great Franklin, uh, 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 Merrill Covey matrix based set of apps in the app stores. Uh, so I guess they also probably are competing with the fact that, you know, the, the idea is out there and people are already uh, producing it. Um, But we are coming up on time, and so I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of time for everybody to let me know, uh, based on having read this book, um, would you recommend the book? And if if you would recommend the book, then kind of what's the archetype of the person to whom you would recommend that book? So I'll start. I think this is a really, again, it's one of those books that is is canon, right? It's it's foundational to so much other material. I would highly recommend that they read the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People first, then read something like First Things First, bef- you know, because then they would have a foundation for really the the cubby concepts of where this fits in line with things. And I think the person who would be open to it is somebody who's fairly new to. Methodologies, personal productivity methodologies, uh, you know, at large, and giving them an opportunity to kind of um, see one kind of methodology being implemented—that's a more high-level perspective. So that's where I would go. Frank, how about you?
2: I would definitely recommend this uh, to to any well to anybody, and the, the person I think who would get the most out of it would be the person who's already fairly well organized to start with. You know, if, if you said, okay, Frank, you got getting things done and you got first things first in which order should somebody read them? I would say first reading, get read getting things done so that you've got the framework for the tasks. And then now how to implement the compass, you know, You've got a way to handle the paperwork. You've got a way to handle your emails. You've got to handle on all this. Now let's move it toward the why and what's the purpose of my life. So I think that person would then be able to read about a mission and, uh, you know, the, my overall values and go, mm-hmm. I now have a way to connect all the little things I'm doing during the day. You know what? What's the old quote about? If uh, doing uh, 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 oh, keeping your eye on the small things while you're doing the big big things, or keeping keeping in focus the big things while you're doing the small things, so that all the small things go in the right direction. I know I still didn't get that quote exactly right. The old DeHawk um, quote, but uh, I I think having sort of the getting things done tactical approach first, then this other makes so much more sense in terms of, I can actually do this.
4: I'll agree with Frank, uh, almost word for word. I'll just add that, you know, I'm a counselor, so I'm often working with people. And if I have someone who's neurodivergent, maybe with ADHD or really struggling with like the executive functioning skills, I would definitely kind of like Frank alluded to, still send them in the direction of getting things done, just because I feel like it really explicitly teaches the nitty gritty of, some of those executive functioning pieces and how to get some relief really quickly from that overwhelm. Um, but if you have somebody who's maybe dipping their toes into personal development um, or productivity and, and just trying to maybe look at the bigger picture and also maybe really focusing on what to do next, right? Like that one, that engagement piece of GTD, what, what to choose. Um, this really expands upon that. Fantastic.
0: Anyone else, I will I will close out by noting that for those who want to get started somewhere with regard to the tasks, one of the major things that Covey and the Merrills advocate for is doing the mission statement. And uh, there is the mission statement builder at msb.franklincovey.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But that is a tool you can use. It helps to build a personal mission statement. You can build a team-based mission statement, and you can also build a family mission statement all for free utilizing the MSB tool there on franklincovey.com. So it's a really great Option and addition. And uh, so, with that, I want to thank all of you for joining me here for this conversation. This has been a lot of fun. And with that, this brings us to the end of our book discussion of First Things First to Live, to Laugh, to Learn, to Leave a Legacy by Dr. Stephen R. Covey and Roger and Rebecca Merrill. A few comments and announcements before we end this episode. One is that we host these quarterly live discussions of personal productivity books, just like the one we just discussed. And of course, you're invited. Simply head over to productivitybookgroup.org and visit the upcoming books page for details. You can also go to productivitybookgroup.org forward slash community, and you can join our community inside of Personal Productivity Club. And there inside the community page, you'll see the event with all the details to be able to both engage in conversation before, during, and after the live call, but also the details to join us for the live call. On the upcoming books page as well, there is a handy little Google Calendar so you can subscribe to it and you can subscribe from Outlook, all the other calendars, and just grab the the URL that's, that's the subscribe link, and you can put that in your own personal calendar, Apple Calendar, Outlook, or otherwise. And then we'll automatically put those events into your calendar when they're published. Also on ProductivityBookGroup.org, you'll find all of our past book discussions, our summary review episodes, our author interviews. They're all under the episodes tab in case you can't find a specific episode in Productivity Book Group inside of your podcast app of choice. So uh, feel free to go ahead and share Productivity Book Group with your friends and family. We always love to have new listeners and, of course, new readers in the fold. And so with that, I'm Ray Sidney Smith. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Productivity Book Group, Here's to your productive life.